Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Well, Philippians chapter 1. This is part 8 of our Go Viral series. So we started on the first Sunday of July, and we've talked about all through July and August. In this series, we saw that all of heaven celebrates when a sinner repents and turns to God. We also saw that Jesus rejoices in celebration when God's children receive revelation and act upon it. We stated if we do our job right here at Faith, every faith experience can give Jesus and all of heaven a reason to turn up and celebrate. It doesn't have to be either or. Well, this church gets people saved and this church grows people up. We can walk in both of those streams of the anointing. Jesus said that his mission was to seek and to save the lost. In the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, we see the person in the story searching for what was lost. We saw the heart of God displayed in the story of the prodigal son. We also saw God's heart in the marriage supper, how he wants his house full. So our efforts have to increase for the purpose of filling God's house. This means we do not just come to church for us. We're Americans, and so we have an American mindset of consumerism, thinking, I'm going to church just for me. Remember, you're a Christian before you're an American. So you don't just go to church for you. Yes, you go to receive the word. Yes, you go to get revelation. But what if the person you're sitting next to just needs you to smile at them and walk in love towards them? What if you're walking in love to them, and you greeting them, you showing them love, prepares their heart to receive what God has to say to them? What if you serving gives someone an opportunity to hear the gospel from a fresh way a first time? And also, if you believe in the word you receive so much, who do you bring with you? Because all the word is great. Well, who did you bring with you to get to such a great word? We don't come to church just for ourselves. And so if we make changes that is more for people we're trying to reach, you can't say, well, I don't like how they make that change. Church should be just for me. So what you basically said that everyone else can go to hell. Because where is the best place for sinners to get saved? Church. If not, why have an altar call? It's not just outside the place they're supposed to get saved. Yes, they should there. But you have more opportunity for people to come here to give their lives to Jesus. And we have to remember that is the mission why he came. And the parable of the marriage supper, the king told the servant to go and compel people to come to the wedding feast. This parable mirrors our responsibility to win the lost. The use of this word compel reminds me of Paul's attitude in 1 Corinthians 9.22 when he said that he becomes all things to all people that he might win some. Paul's mentality in the use of compel implies by any means necessary. It's a mentality of we will do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. We will do anything short of sin to win people to Jesus. That means we'll break tradition if necessary if it was going to cause more people to get saved. Just because we did something for 25 years doesn't mean we do that in year 26. Just because the bait we used in the 1970s and 80s was good doesn't mean that's a bait you used in 2018 going to 2019. Because God said, as we looked at before, we are fishers of men. Fishermen use bait. They don't just put a hook in the water, call it fish, jump on that hook. There has to be some bait. There has to be a lure. And if we follow the Holy Ghost, he'll give us creative bait and innovative nets. So that we can win more people to Jesus than ever before. That's what it's about. We have to remember there is a heaven and there is a hell. We have to keep in our mindset, Jesus is coming back, and it's time for the church to act like it. Instead of fighting over petty things and making mountains out of molehills, we should be moving mountains with our faith and getting people saved and growing them in the things of God. But we have to have the heart of Jesus. We have to have the heart of our Father who wants his house full. We talked about last week how we can use the authority God has given us as believers and the authority he's given us as believers, not just so you can ward off sickness and disease and the enemy from your house. That's part of the reason. But it's also you can use your authority to move the enemy back off of people so they have an opportunity to make a decision for Jesus. I was telling the uh, first experience about a story, I believe it was Dennis Burke. And he, when he got saved, he got saved in the Jesus movement decades ago when all these hippies were coming to Jesus like never before. And so he was a full hippie. Full hippie, full California. Everything you can think that meant that meant. Sister Glory makes jokes about how he first came and said, oh, yeah, we really know that you were a hippie when you first came among us. But so when he got saved and started ministering to people, 
that there was one person, they were in a meeting, they're inviting a person, and the person they invited did some type of rude response, cussed them out, something like that. And so they're just walking away, going, okay, I guess they won't come. And they were quick in their heart, wait a minute, you have authority. So they stopped right there. So we command that spirit that is over that man to leave him alone. And they went back and won that person to Jesus. You can use your authority to help people get saved. You don't have authority over people, but you do have authority over demon spirits. Now, those people want to keep their demon spirits and give it pet names, and they can keep it. But you have authority. And in prayer, you can drive things away from your neighborhood, from your kid's school, especially in your house. You have authority. Jesus says that he gave us authority. Now we're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to go in his authority. We must use that authority for more than just ourselves and use it to win other people to Jesus. It's great to have faith for yourself, but it's even better when you can use it for others. It's great to have authority for your house, but it's even better when you can use it for others. We have to take all this great revelation we received for years and figure out how we can use it to bless more people. We talked about in this series how we're supposed to use our platform and our promotion to point others to Jesus and encourage them on their walks with God. And we said, in our efforts to win the lost and to grow, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit are integral to our success. To win the lost, you don't have to cut out the gifts of the Spirit and the move of the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost wants people saved more than you want them saved. So if he moves, he always moves according to the Word of God, and he's moving with a purpose, and more people will be coming to the kingdom of God. But we also talked about the fruit of the Spirit. See, a lot of people say, oh, I want power. I want Holy Ghost and fire. But can your character carry the power that you want? We said it was an old Pentecostal saying, saying you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. Why? If you fire a cannon from a canoe, you will sink your own ship. People pray for power when they need to develop some character to hold that power. Because if that power was turned up all the way, you destroy yourself and everybody around you. That power turned up all the way, you cuss people out on 285 because there's traffic. It's Atlanta. There will always be traffic. You have traffic on Saturday night, not even because the Carters are here, just because it's Atlanta. So get used to it. Don't cuss people out because there's traffic. Learn to control your tongue. Because your tongue, remember Proverbs says, the power of life and death is in the tongue. And they that love it, eat the fruit of it. You become the prophet of your own life. Well, I don't like what's in my life. Change your mouth. Some people would be even more blessed if they just shut up. So, oh, I just have to say something. No, you don't. You do not have to reply. You do not have to clap back. You can be quiet and be blessed. Well, I have something. It's really good. You can either be petty or walk in power. You need to pick one. You have to control your mouth if you want to walk in power. You have to control your mouth if you want to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. You can't just say everything you feel like saying. He said, well, I'm an American. I first amendment rights. Well, just because you can say it doesn't mean you should. We have to mature in the things of God and know when to talk and when not to talk. Because sometimes Jesus didn't always answer his accusers. He ignored people. Remember when they brought the woman to him? And they threw him at his feet. They said they caught her in the middle of adultery. So what channel were they watching that they caught her in the middle of adultery? They picked her up and threw her at the feet of Jesus, expecting Jesus to judge her and trap her. See, the thing is, if you take a sinner and throw them at the feet of Jesus, Jesus is not going to judge them. He's going to show mercy. If you want someone to be judged, throw them at the feet of an uppity Christian, but not at Jesus. And so they're asking questions of Jesus, and Jesus is ignoring them. He comes down and starts riding in the sand. We don't know what he was riding. He can be drawing a pretty picture. He's ignoring them. And then he looks up, and he responds to what his father told him to say. He was out sinning. Though the first stone. And then he says, he goes back to writing. And they all leave. And he looks at the woman. He says, where are you accused? He says, they left. He says, I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. So he didn't say her sin was okay. He addressed the sin. But the way he did it caused that person to follow him. So the thing is, we have to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. For too long, we thought holiness is equated to ugliness and meanness. That holiness was the way you put your hair, put it in a bun, and no makeup, and clothes that had no style. That is not holiness. That's ugliness. There is a difference. Because, you know, what's so weird? People who preach holiness, the women look horrible and the men have the best suits. There's something wrong with that. Anywho. Holiness is not meanness. It's not ugliness. Holiness is not complete if you don't walk in love. See, Philippians 1.11 says, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and the praise of God. 
The message version says it this way, bountiful and fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. You walking in the fruit of the Spirit makes Jesus attractive to people. People will want to know you're Jesus because you walked in love, because you had patience, because you had self-control, because you were faithful, because you showed goodness and kindness and mercy. That makes Jesus attractive to people. People don't want your Jesus if you're walking around like Eeyore. If you're always depressed, always sad, they don't want to know your Jesus because they think that's contagious. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Another is patience. You put up with people. Wow. How do you put up with people? You drinking on the job? No, I got Jesus. <laughs> How did you not cuss them out? Jesus. You know you wanted to slap them. I did, but Jesus. Because <laughs> what does God want to do? We talked about in 2 Corinthians 5 last week. It says that God was working through Jesus, bringing the world to himself. And now God is working through us doing the same thing. The Holy Spirit wants to draw people to Jesus through you. That you walking in the fruit of the Spirit and doing what God's called you to do, you become like a magnet pulling people to you. Go to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Us walking in the fruit of the Spirit, the character traits of Jesus, make Jesus attractive to everybody. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. Proverbs 11, verse 30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. The fruit of the righteous, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's a tree of life. So think about it this way. The purpose of fruit is for someone else to enjoy. So the more you walk in the fruit of the Spirit and do what God's called you to do, people receive life from your life. The first encounter of eternal life shouldn't be when they come to church. It should be when they cross a Christian. The Gospel of John says you have eternal life in you right now. It is a, phys- it is a spiritual substance. If you're born again, eternal life is in you right now. You have it right now. And when you walk in the fruit of the Spirit and you walk into what God's called you to do, you're passing out samples of eternal life. You are life-giving when you walk into a room. And if you walk into a room of death and darkness, but you're the one giving life, of course people are going to come to you. They'll be pulled to you because they says, I don't know why, but when I come near you, I feel alive. Why? is the eternal life. And so think about this. You're always life-giving wherever you go. And now people just want to talk to you. Hey, what is your seat? What's going on? Now you have a platform to tell them about Jesus because the fruit of the Spirit gives life. And we're called to give life to a dying world. We are to be counterculture in the midst of culture. Doesn't mean we run from culture and keep our heads in the sand. No. Go out and pass out life. Live your life because your life can be life-giving and cause people to want to know Jesus just because you showed up. Because I don't know why I just feel better when you come in the room and they start talking to you about all their issues. You know, you start walking this way, they will tell you their life story. Just like the woman who came to Jesus and got healed with the issue of blood. She said she told him all the truth. That's the whole life story. People will do that. But what should I say? Just wait and let Jesus tell you what to say. And then you just lead them to him. Because the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And this is the wise win souls. The word winneth there is also translated take. So if people are being pulled to you, by the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit you're walking in. You become a magnet to people. Now people are right there. The wise person takes them. So you realize when we reeling them in, we come on, get the bait, get the lure, get some eternal life. Yep, yeah, mm-hmm. Gotcha. What do you do? You snatch them out of hell. You snatch them out of the grip of the devil. Now they have eternal life because you lived eternal life before them. So that every time you walk in the room, heaven walks in the room. That the first time they get to heaven is not when they die and go there. They experience heaven because you walked in the room. A lot of people can bring hell in the room, but you need to be a person that brings heaven in the room. That when you walk in, the atmosphere changes because you showed up. Jesus walked into cities and demons started manifesting 
So don't be moved if you, people start twitching when you walked in. It's like, oh, they're twitching. Don't worry about it. The demon's just acknowledging you. Don't be moved by the enemy. Don't be moved by darkness. You're light. You're the salt of the earth. You're supposed to bring the God flavors and God colors out everywhere you go. How will people know you're Jesus if you don't live like him? They'll say it's like any other religion until you walk in eternal life. Go to Daniel chapter 12. The wise take the souls. The Amplified Classic Edition says it this way. The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise captures human lives for God as a fisher of men. He gathers and receives them for eternity. Daniel chapter 12, we read verse 1, you see it's talking about the time of the end. It's talking about the tribulation, which we talked about on Wednesday, and answered that person's question regarding it. Then it says in verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Wise are, it's translated here in the Hebrew, or the Aramaic, as those who are teachers and the wise. So it's not just the wise, also those who are teaching wisdom. Remember, we said wisdom is correctly applied knowledge. So this is talking about the believer who's received the knowledge of God and has applied it correctly and lived their life. As a result, in eternity, they shine. You have a glorious body in eternity. But how much you shine is depending on how you live on this earth. But then it talks about people who shine even more are those who turn many to righteousness. It says they will shine. The first group shines like a cloudless sky on a starry night. But the second group shines as the stars themselves. That there's supposed to be light coming from you in eternity. And it's representative of how many people you brought to Jesus. So far we see that we're to win and take as fishers of men, but also we're to help turn people the right direction towards Jesus. You can turn people in a conversation. Not holding up a sign that says turn or burn, that doesn't usually work. You go outside sporting events, you're going to hell, they ain't listening to you. Turn or burn, or any other phrase they like to throw out. You can turn people in conversations. People ask your opinion, hey, what do you think about that? Oh, you know, that's interesting, but I think this is a little better choice. Oh, yeah, I should do that. What do you do? You turn them to righteousness. So it's turning people to Jesus and turning people who walked away back to him. That means we have to be intentional on the people we know who aren't living right for God. Look for opportunities in your conversations how to turn them. There's an art to it. You don't got to yell in their face. Did that work for you? Think about what worked for you. Think about how many people pray that you get saved. Some people may have fasted. Think about how many people it took for you to finally say yes to Jesus and be one of those people for others so that you can help turn people to righteousness. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're supposed to win and take. We're supposed to turn. This is not a Christianity that hides its head in the sand. We're not ostriches hanging out in a chicken coop. That's not who we are. We have to be aware of what's going on in the world. And that we're here to make a difference. Now, Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, a triumphant church. It's not a black ops mission for him to sneak in and grab the church and go, ooh, you're defeated. Let me take you home. He's coming back for a triumphant church that is about the Father's business. That's winning people to Jesus like never before. That's growing people up and walking in the power and the authority that Jesus gave them. A church that looks exactly what Jesus died for and shed his blood for and was raised for. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all that I might gain or win the more. Unto the Jews I became as a Jew that I might gain and win the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law that I might gain or win them that are under the law. To them that are without the law as without the law, be not without law to God, but under the law of Christ, that I might gain or win them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain and win the weak. I, was, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save 
some. Notice Paul's strategy. I'm willing to change my mode of operations, change my approach, change to do what I do just so I can save some. I may not get everybody, but I'm going to get somebody. That means we have to be willing to change and to move as the Holy Ghost leads us and not be stuck in denominational thinking. You may say, well, we're a non-denominational church, but there's plenty of non-denominational churches that are denominations themselves. Follow the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Ghost told me to do this 60 years ago. Well, good. Have you checked in with them in the last 60 years? Because if you check in, he says, keep doing it. That's what you keep doing. If he says, change, you change. Why? We're about our Father's business. We have to win people to Jesus. We have to bring them into the kingdom of God. We have to grow them up and send them out to win more people to Jesus. We have to be about our Father's business. We have to fill our Father's house. It is the heart of God. Go to Luke chapter 5. And it can't just be a preacher and a few people in the outreach team who have this mindset. It has to be the church together. We all have to see this together because where we're going is going to take all of us doing it together. On September 9th, I'm rolling out, rolled out to the, at the 25th anniversary gala. We talk about our mission statement and our vision statement and the new branding logo. We're going to roll it out here on September 9th. And to do what God's put in our heart to do is going to take all of us. He said, well, you look at the vision, that's impossible. Yep, that's why we're going to do it. It's kind of fun to do the impossible. And once people tell you, oh, it can't be done, and then you do it, it's even more fun. But it doesn't take us together to do it. Luke chapter 5, verse 5, we looked at the story a few weeks ago when we talked about being fishers of men. And Jesus told, after Simon let Jesus get in his boat and use his boat, Jesus said, turn to get a big catch. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've worked all night, toyed all night, we've taken nothing, we're tired, we're hungry, we want to go. We stayed longer to clean the nets because you wanted to teach and you're kind of long-winded. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, Jesus said nets. Peter said a net because he didn't want to wash those nets again. So he threw in a net and then closed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. So even if Peter was fully obedient, fully, fully obedient, he was not going to be able to pull in the fish by himself. He needed his partners. He couldn't pull it in by himself when the net was breaking, much less if the net was intact. And the partners came and filled the ship so that they both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw, he fell down on Jesus' knees because there's so much fish, he can't find his feet. Saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all them that were with him, at the drought of fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, fear not, from henceforth you shall catch men. So notice what Jesus points to when he talks to Peter and Andrew, James and John here. He says, just the same as you caught all these fish today, that's how you're going to catch people. That's what he's pointing to. God wants us to have supernatural catches. He wants us to bring in the multitudes. But also notice how he pointed to this example. He said, the same way you did this is how you're going to do this, meaning you're going to do it together. Peter and Andrew, James and John, you're going to catch people together. It's not going to be just one of you. I'm sending you out together to be fishers of men. Luke 5 is paralleled in Acts chapter 2. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. Because God has interested in us having supernatural catches. He'll give us creative bait and innovative nets to bring people in like never before. But the only way we'll be able to bring in such a large catch is together. One person can't snag it by themselves. It's going to take multiple people grabbing on the net and pulling in. There's going to have to be people who grab the net and pull, and after you get it in, there's going to have to be the people that go through and count and sort the fish. Everybody has a part. See, God anoints accountants. I have an anointed accountant. She's great. God used accountants. One of the accountants wrote a gospel. They were a task collector and an accountant. So don't say, well, God can't use my profession. He says, it doesn't seem spiritual. No, if God called you to do it, it's anointed and he needs you to do it. Because if you do what God has called you to do in the church house and outside of the church house, you're grabbing, you're part of the net, and you're bringing people in. So Acts chapter 2, verse 41 it was on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Ghost was poured out. 
It says, and then they that gladly received his word were baptized. On the same day, there added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching and in fellowship and in breaking of the bread and in prayers. So what is the early church doing? The apostles teach them the word. They spend time together in fellowship. They eat together. And they pray and sometimes pray together. So look what happened after the outpouring of the Holy Ghost and the supernatural catch of 3,000 souls. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Half of the early church's dedication was to forming community. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, half of the early church's dedication was to forming community. Instead of the word fellowship, the NIRV says they shared their lives together. They shared their lives together. Community and doing life together was very important to the early church and should be important to us as well. Remember, Jesus made disciples through relationships and teaching of the word. He didn't just walk up to them and teach them the word and walk away. He did it through relationships. Turning someone to righteousness can take place through conversations and relationships you have with people. Because your relationships gives you the platform of pouring into people and talking to them. You know, people used to be upset years ago that because guys' pants were sagging. Now they're at their ankles. They're still upset. You can't walk in the room and say, pull up your pants. They ain't going to listen to you. They don't know you. But if you had a relationship with them, they would. They actually probably pull up their pants when they see you coming because they respect you because they have a relationship with you. We expect people to turn just because we said so. Where is the relationship? And it wasn't just Christian people or churchy people, religious people Jesus had friendships with. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to eat and hang out with them. Jesus never compromised his holiness, but sinners wanted to be around them. So sinners don't want to be around you. You're not as much like Jesus as you think you are. Zacchaeus was trying to find Jesus. Short little man, rich man, but short little man. Ran up into a tree, put down all his dignity and money aside. Climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus stopped and said, hey, Zach, I'm coming to your house today. He looked to find him. Zacchaeus wasn't living for God at that point. He was taking money on the side, taking money for people, and enjoying his life. But in one dinner conversation, Zacchaeus said, I'm following God. And anything I've taken, I'm giving back to people, and I'm restoring double. And Jesus said, look at salvation has come to the seed of Abraham today. Did that happen because Jesus preached a huge mess in his house? No. He had dinner. You underestimate the power of a meal. Everybody's got to eat. Be intentional. Go to Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Forming community was very important to the early church. Jesus formed community within his disciples. Remember, he sent them two by two. And so when you get to Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going two by two into the temple. Why? Because that's who Jesus paired together. Peter, by most studies, was the oldest disciple. John was the youngest, and Jesus paired them together. Probably told Peter, watch out for him. So there may be some people God gives you divine relationships with that you don't even know why you're friends with them. Like, they are so annoying. Well, you're annoying to someone too. They get on my nerves. You get on someone's nerves too. But you keep growing with God, you realize y'all need each other and that you're better together. So Acts chapter 4, verse 4, this is after the miracle, Peter and John. Told this man to get up, and he gets up, runs, leaps, praises God. He's healed. He was lame. And so a crowd gathers, and Peter and John preach to them. And what is the result of that message? How be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So 5,000 men get saved, and then women and children get saved. So now the church is at least 8,120 people plus. And what happens? The priests come and arrest Peter and John. They threaten them, say, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. Don't do any more miracles. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. But notice, after they were threatened, after persecution came, after pressure was applied, where did they go? No, before prayer, where did they go? Let's look at that verse again. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to where? They went to where? They went to where? Well, Peter and John, they're mighty men of faith. I'm sure they could pray about it themselves, but they didn't go home. They went to their own company. 
It's good to have a company. But you need to go to it. See, the book of Psalms in 68 verse 6 in the New Living Translations, God places the lonely in families. God's put people in companies. You have a faith family. Stop running away from them. God has put you in the faith family for a reason. He saw you solitary and says the best place for you is with this group of people. He said, well, they got issues. So do you. Well, I don't have any issues. No, you probably got a subscription. We already know. We're supposed to do life together because we're better together. No Christian is supposed to be an island. In the generation that is more connected than ever before, we're still the most isolated. So just because you're online and you can post everything you want and you got a few likes doesn't mean you're connected to anybody. He said, well, I posted and told people to pray for me. doesn't mean they're actually doing it. They can comment, oh, praying for you keeps growing. Just because you're online doesn't mean you have a community. Community comes through relationships. So being let go, they went to their own company, they gave them a report, and when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. So they began to pray together. We see from here they prayed based on the word of God. So you skip down to verse 31, and when they had prayed together, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they're all filled with the Holy Ghost together, and they spake the word of God with boldness together. It wasn't one person. It was a crew. They did it together. When believers work together, the anointing multiplies. Psalms tells us unity is the place where God commands the blessing. God loves when brothers and sisters hang out together and get along. That pleases God's heart so much he puts the blessing on it. He puts the anointing on it. God doesn't put believers on islands. He places them in families. See, through relationships and being connected to one another, we can fulfill the one another scriptures. See, the Bible says serve one another. You can't serve one another if you isolate yourself. It says comfort one another. You can't comfort people if you isolate yourself. It says pray for one another. See, I could pray for someone on the island, but think about the power of touch. That there's someone you run into and say, oh, I'll pray for you. Well, that's nice. But what if you just put your hand on your shoulder or the hand and say, hey, let's pray right now. Not only is your prayer having power, but that fact that you touched them tells them someone cares about them. Think about Jesus and the leper. No one touches them. They are untouchables. No one touches them. And the leper says, Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. It says he touched him and said, I am willing to be clean. See, that touch ministered even before the words of Jesus because that touch meant you matter. Even though everyone else says you shouldn't be touched, I believe as God you should be touched. Be clean. That only happens in relationships in community. The Bible also says, admonish one another, teach one another, forgive one another, forbear one another. What does forbear mean? It means put up with one another. You have to put up with each other because somebody's got to put up with you. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. The rest of us got issues. And in community, you have to put up with people. So that person's so super spiritual. I know you used to be super spiritual too. You preached to everything that moved and half your doctrine was incorrect, yet people put up with you. So you put up with them too. Well, they're having a bad day. They're moody. You moody sometimes too. Yeah, people put up with you. Well, I don't like the way they looked at me. Well, you got some looks yourself. Put up with people because people put up with you. The only way you'll be successful in community is if you're willing to put up with people and forgive people. That's why we say every Sunday, forgive everybody of everything. You have to walk in forgiveness even to walk in love. If you expect to be a part of the community, expect you will forgive people. So, oh, this is a perfect church for me, so I'm going to join. Yes, it may be the perfect church for you, but it's not full of perfect people. We're saved. We got the Holy Ghost, and we got issues. Well, the first step of getting better is knowing that you got issues. If you say, I got no issues, you... <laughs> We put up with each other because we're family. And see, family... They might have issues in between each other, but when it comes down to it, they'll fight for each other. We fight for one another around here. We put up with each other because we love each other. See, let's go to Hebrews 10, 24, so we bring this so close. God never meant this Christian life for it to be lived alone. We're supposed to be a part of a family, a community, 
because we're better together. Hebrews 10, 24. Just let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Exhorting means encouraging and building up each other. But also just provoke one another to love and to good works. It Provoking one another means you understand the person so well, you know what bushing to, button to push to get them to walk in love. You know what button to push to make them go do what is right. That only comes through relationships. That you spend enough time, it's like you know exactly what to say and what edge to say it in to get them to do what they need to do. But notice the verse goes on and says that, at, that we're also to assemble ourselves together. It's talking about coming to church. Even the more as we see the day approaching. What day is that? The return of Jesus. So notice the two things we're supposed to do more as we see Jesus coming back. Come to church more and do life together more. Why? In the end times, we looked at a part of on Wednesday, Satan is looking to snipe more people out. It's hard for him to take out an army. It's easy for him to take off the lone wolf. But if you're doing life together, if you fall, there's someone to grab you and keep you up. Because the thing is, people go, well, I, they dropped off the scene. We haven't seen them in church for a few weeks. Well, somebody should have known that I wasn't at church. Did you call anybody? Did you tell anybody? Well, they should have felt it in the spirit. James 5.14 says, if you're sick, let him call the elders of church, not let the elders feel it in the spirit. You've got to be connected with people. It's not supposed to be because, you know, we have, what, about 500 to 600 people that come to church here every Sunday. And so by most churches in America standard, it's still, it's a mega church. It's bigger than the majority of churches in America. But the thing is, it's big enough for you to slip in and slip out. But you say, well, I got the word. Praise God. The Holy Ghost move. I got my healing. That's good that you receive, but you're missing out on everything God wants you to do. Because if God has called you to do life together and form relationships, he'll put answers you need in relationships. That although you receive the word, although the Holy Ghost moved, if you didn't form the relationship you're supposed to, you're missing the fullness of what God wants you to receive. And so it shouldn't be that as soon as we say amen, as soon as the blessing is given, that you run out the door, race to your car because you're hungry. We are hungry. I'm hungry too. But you should take some time to talk to people. Form relationships, build community. They're hungry too. Why don't you say, hey, let's go out to eat together. You hungry, I'm hungry. He went a little bit longer. Let's go. Forming community, building family. So it's not just I came to church, I went home, I didn't connect anybody. Then the Bible says if you desire friends, show yourself friendly. <laughs> Say hi to people, smile, connect with people. The message version says this way, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. So as we see Jesus coming back, we don't just time out and say, well, I'll go to church once a month. That's good. No, you come to church every time the doors open. It says, well, I can't make it on Wednesdays because of traffic. Then you watch online. There's always a reason why you can't go to church. You're tired. You know, if, what if we all didn't come to church because we're tired? I wouldn't be here. <laughs> oh, where's pastor? He's tired, so he decided not to come today. None of y'all will be happy about that. Well, that pastor should be here because he's the pastor. Now, that means membership should have equal commitment as they expect from the pastor. Well, I may need someone to get on the piano and play some organ sounds with that one. We see in 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the expression of the exhibition of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Or so that we can profit together and be better together. When he, after he lists the gifts of the Spirit, which we talked about a few weeks ago, it gives the example how we are the body of Christ and members in particular. That every one of us has a part. Just like your body is made up of many parts, the global body of Christ is made up of many parts. But so the local body, the local body of believers you're called to be a part of, the family you're called to be a part of, that God has put you in, we're all different parts. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says in the example, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. The eyes can't see to the ear, I don't need you. We all need each other. 
Most people don't think about their pinky toes. Now, some ladies do because it's sandal season and they do what they got to do. But most of us on a regular basis don't think, well, how's my pinky toe doing today? But if it was gone, you'd lose your balance. But you think about your pinky toe when you stub it. You call all your salvation to keep your mouth right. (laughs) But you're aware you have a pinky toe. Every part of you is important. Every part of this local body is important. We're better together. We all have our part. Because if one part decides I'm not going to do my part, then the whole body suffers. Ephesians 4.16 says, From the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So the whole body is joined together. And every joint, say I'm a joint, has a supply. If you're a joint, you have a supply. God has put a supply of eternal life of his spirit on the inside of you. That when you're in place doing what God's called you to do, that supply can flow. And if everyone's in their place doing what there's a call to do, that supply flows. We come closer together. We increase and we're full of love. So what happens is if people aren't in their place doing what they're supposed to do, that opens the door for division. And that also keeps the body of believers from growing. Because people are in their place. It's not just the pastor who has to be in place. It's everyone. See, if you don't have kids young enough, you don't think about the nursery workers. But if you got kids, you think about the nursery workers. Think about people who come to this church. They haven't been to church in a long time. Their babies are young. They haven't been able to sit with a moment's peace in a long time. But they come to church, bring their baby to the nursery, and they come and sit and receive the word of God. And they get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. The life is changed forever. It's not just the pastor, the person who preached, who gets credit. It's the nursery worker, too, who held the baby and rocked the baby so the mama can get saved. We all have a part to play. Think about the brother who's in the parking lot when it's hot and when it's cold, directing traffic so that you can get in and not even say hi to him and walk by, come into the sanctuary and get the word that you need. We all have a part to play. And if we do our part, the body grows and it's full of love. We all have a part to play. Because you got to think, so the parking lot guy smiled at a person. The hospitality team smiled at people. The ushers smiled at people when they came in. People were like, oh, these are happy people. And what happens? Now they're in a positive mood, able to receive the word when it comes forth. What happened? They laid the foundation for the word to come. So before they ever see me, ever heard me, God has already started working on the heart through the people who were serving. And he says, well, I didn't give them a deep word. You just smiled. That was enough. You did what you're supposed to do. You showed up early to serve. You drank your caffeine, which we supply. <laughs> You're smiling to the best of your ability. You're in your place so the supply can flow. We all have our place, and we're all important. None of us can say, well, that person is not important. Everybody's important. We all have our place. And we have to do what we're called to do together. As I said in James 5.14 earlier, is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. You're not feeling well. You're in the hospital. Call the church. We'll pray with you. We'll come visit you in the hospital. You don't think, oh, they should have called it in the spirit. No. The Bible says you call. You catch it in the spirit, and you make a phone call. Pick up the phone and call. Then it goes on and says, and the other church, let them pray over him, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, confess your faults doesn't mean come up, get this microphone, and tell all the bad things you've done and all your mistakes. It doesn't mean post all your business on Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat and Instagram. It's talk about in the context of relationship. Share your shortcomings and your struggles with other believers you have a relationship with. See, the thing is, one of my friends, a good friend of mine, he's a pastor in Oklahoma, is one of my accountability partners. He was ministering on this subject a few weeks ago, and he said, transparency releases the grip of sin. Transparency releases the grip of sin. Why? If you're confessing your faults one toward another, you now have another person who can believe with you, who can use your faith with you, who can encourage you and keep you accountable, who will check on you, hey, are you doing what you said you needed to do? 
Are you doing so what you're believing to do? Someone who can form that bond with you and stand with you so that when you're going through, there's someone who can pray the prayer of faith with you, someone who can agree with you, someone who can intercede and supplicate with you so you're not trying to do it by yourself. That comes through relationships. And a lot of us miss out on what God wants us to do because we don't form relationships within the kingdom of God. It's time for us faith people to think we can do everything by ourselves. Well, I'm a faith giant. We'll be a faith giant in a, with a faith community. Because even the strongest person feels tired. Even the strongest person feels weak. But if they have a brother and sister who has their back, when they're weak, the other can be strong. We're better together. Transparency can go through these relationships, and you can make each other stronger. That's why small groups are so important. You'll see more announcements about small groups later in this month as we go into the fall. Make sure you're part of one. Make sure you build the right relationship so that you can grow stronger. There's a small group that I oversee, a group of guys that I meet with on a regular basis that I pour into, and we form community. We check on each other. We check on whatever's going on. And, you know, the, our meeting's important, the word share is important, but also apparently the group text is important. Somehow they saw something I posted on social media, something I cooked, and they somehow got me agreed to cook them something this fall. <laughs> but what happened as we kept meeting, community was forming. We understand we have each other's back. You're not in this by yourself. It doesn't matter what's going on. We got you. And so some of you ladies say, oh, guys never talk. They never open up. Yeah, they do. You've never been to a men of faith meeting. They're very chatty. <laughs> I have to go, hey, okay, guys, let's pause. We'll talk more later. Let's get into the word. <laughs> what? Why do they got, open up that? Because now they have a community. They feel safe. We're all supposed to be part of a community. We're supposed to do this together. Because Ecclesiastes 4 and 9 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for the labor. And if one prevail against them, two shall withstand them. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The New Living Translation says a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Together we're conquerors. Lone wolves can be sniped by Satan. Now 2 Samuel 23 tells some interesting stories. Now we know about King David. He was a mighty warrior since he was a teenager. He took down Goliath as a teenager. He was a mighty warrior all his life until he stopped fighting. But 2 Samuel 23 tells interesting stories about some other mighty people in David's army. It says the 30, that they were a mighty group. But above the 30, there was the three. The first of the three in battle took down 800 men by himself. Not over the course of his lifetime. In one battle, he took 800 hundred people down by himself. That is a bad man. This is before modern warfare. This is swords, spears, rocks, 800 people by himself. And the second person was a guy that Philistines attacked. All of Israel ran away because the army that attacked them. But David and this one man stood in the field of barley and says, we are not running away. It says they got together. Because the thing is, I'm pretty tough. I can handle a lot of things. But if people surround me, I can go down. But Leon, if I know Leon's got my back, we can handle more. And so when in the story, it says these two men stood and fought. The guy who was fighting with David says he fought so long till his hand froze and the sword stuck into his hand. So they defeated the entire army because God gave them a great victory. How did God give them a great victory? Because two people stood together to take on the enemy. But then there was another time. It says the three got together. They heard David say, I'm thirsty. And it's the best water in all Israel. He's just talking. The best water in all Israel is over there in that city, and the Philistines are in the way. He's just talking. And so the three says, let's go get the king some water. Come on. So the three make a decision. We're going out. And we're going to get the king some water. So they fight through the entire Philistine army to go to the river to get some water, fight all the way back to give a cup of water to the king. That's impossible. How do these three mighty warriors do it? They were together, and God gave them a great victory because they were together. If we truly believe that one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to fight, then it's about time for us to get together. Because we are better together. Thank you, gentlemen. Because when you have community, you can get each other's back 
And you're not going to give up just because something happened. You're not easily offended. You know, okay, that person's going through, so I'm going to pray with them more. I'm going to show them extra grace right now. I'm going to be extra long-suffering. Because I understand they're going through something. If I'm going through something, I want people to show me extra long-suffering. I want people to show me extra grace. But you only understand that through the context of community. We have to do life together. We're better together. So when you see these small groups in the next few weeks, connect. Become part of one. You need it. You say, Pastor, I'm doing pretty good by myself. But what if they need you? He says, well, I've got enough relationships. But what if somebody needs you? What if somebody needs the gift God's put in you, the wisdom God's put in you, that you're the one encouragement they need to really follow God and run after him with all their heart? Remember, we don't come to churches for ourselves. We don't even form community just for ourselves. We do it because we believe other people need what God has put on the inside of us. we got to do life together because we're better together. And together, we can pull in the great harvest of fish. Together, we can go out and bring everyone in. One person can't do it. Two people can't do it. But it takes all of us together. When we get together on one accord, you see that in 2 Chronicles 5 and Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. What happens? Why did he pour out? They were together. When we get together and we gather with the purpose of causing heaven to celebrate, that every time we get together, there's going to be a level revelation of the word that's higher, so higher, that Jesus celebrates. And if so many people get saved, that all of heaven celebrates, we'll be doing our job. Because if you keep doing things that cause heaven to celebrate, there's realms of the glory that invade church services and experiences because heaven is so excited about what you're doing. It's time for us to do that. It's time just to come together like never before because where we're going, as I'm going to announce on September 9th, can't be done by just one or two or three of us. It's going to take all of us so that we can impact this entire state to ignite an awakening and bring more people to Jesus than ever before. Because Jesus is coming soon. It's time for us to do our job. Because we're better together. Say we're better Better. together. Together. So so, together, Together. we're going to win more people to Jesus. Jesus. Together, Together. more people people. will be healed. healed. Together, Together. more people people. will be filled. Together, Together. more people people. will grow. grow. We're better better. together. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.